When I was a child, I loved Rocky movies. The Rocky movies were inspiring to me. I remember as a child, I had a little tape recorder. And what I would do is I would wait until the music played in the training montage when they showed Rocky on television, network television, CBS at the time. And I would wait for the training montage and I would press play and record at the same time. And I would record the music from the Rocky movies because we didn't have YouTube at the time. We didn't have Spotify at the time. So I had my little cassette tape and that little cassette tape would allow me to listen to the Rocky music again and again and again. And I would tape the Rocky music all the way through to the fight. So in the first Rocky music, first Rocky movie, I would tape the fight scene with Rocky and Apollo Creed. And then I would play my little cassette tape and listen to the Rocky music to inspire me. Now today, I can go to YouTube and I can bring up the Rocky movies. I can bring up scenes from the Rocky movies. I can bring up music from the Rocky movies on Spotify. It's so much easier today than it was when I was a child and I wanted to listen to the Rocky music. But even as a child, the Rocky music inspired me. And even as an adult, I still learn from the Rocky music. And from Rocky Balboa, I love this quote. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshines and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out there and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers, saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that's not you. You're better than that. And I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. Leadership is hard. We get hit. But others get hit as well. Call me. Being hit and helping others who have been hit. This is Stephen Thompson and this is the Stephen Thompson experience. This is Stephen Thompson and this is my experience. Well, in this season, we're focusing on the music of Aretha Franklin. And on this show, we're going to look at Call Me. Call Me. Call Me is a very sweet ballad. And Franklin came up with the idea for this song after she saw a young couple and they were engaged in deep conversation in New York, specifically on Park Avenue. And before the couple left, Franklin heard them say, I love you, call me. And that was her inspiration. But also, also, she wrote Call Me not long after divorcing her husband of eight years. Ted White was her husband that she divorced. And it made me think about this. Painful situations are painful. And that pain, it can't be ignored and it can't be brushed away. So she was in pain, I'm pretty sure, for 
of the, the divorce. It was a, probably a painful divorce. I don't know the specifics, but we're pretty sure that it was painful. But as a leader, when you are in pain, when you are hurting, guess what? You're also still talented. You're also still, still gifted. And you can produce beauty in the pain. Edmona Wildfire Lewis. Edmona Wildfire Lewis was an African-American woman sculptor. And she was the first African-American woman sculptor to achieve a successful career in the arts, the sculpting arts, internationally. Not just sculpting in America, but internationally. She built an international career as a sculptor. Now, Edmona Wildfire Lewis was born either, records say, in 1843 or 1845 in Ohio. Her father was an African-American and her mother was a Chippewa Indian. And she was lucky that she was born in a slave state. Otherwise, she would have been enslaved. She was able to go to high school and she was able to go to college. But while she was in college, she was accused of poisoning one of her roommates. She was defended by a lawyer, and she was released on insufficient evidence. But the students continued to harass her. Even at one time, she was beaten and arrested. She was accused of stealing art supplies and she wasn't even allowed to graduate, even though she was acquitted, even though they found no evidence that she had done any crimes. So after that, she wasn't able to go to school. She wasn't able to go to college. But what did she do? Well, she went and opened up her own studio in Boston. And she was able to meet up with other artists who were able to help her continue to sculpt. She made many sculptures throughout her career. She did a bust of Colonel Robert Shaw. And if you ever saw the movie Glory, that Denzel Washington won Best Supporting Actor for in 1990, the Matthew Broderick character was Colonel Robert Shaw. And Colonel Robert Shaw led the all-black Massachusetts 54 Regiment in the Civil War. And she made a bust of him. So she made many sculptures. She went internationally and she began to open up a studio in Europe. And she opened a studio in Rome in 1865. And she continued to make her own models, her own sculptures, and she would send these back to Boston later on. And she worked specifically with sculptures that spoke to her heritage. And she talked about the inhumanity of slavery and racial oppression. And two of her titles were The Freed Woman and Her Child and Old Arrow Maker and Hagar. I don't know if you know the story Hagar is an Old Testament story where Abraham had 
two wives. He had Sarah was his wife, and Hagar was his maidservant. Because Sarah at the time was infertile, she gave Hagar to Abraham in order to have a child. Uh, the child that Abraham and Hagar had was Ishmael, and Sarah drove Hagar away. So the image of Hagar is an image of a woman who was abandoned. And what's interesting in the Bible, you will see that God does remember Hagar and Ishmael in her pain. It's something else, too, that you could, you could look at. But here's this example of beauty being created from pain. Even though Edmona Wildfire Lewis, even though she was a talented sculpturist, there were people who did not believe in her. There were people who sabotaged her. You would think that the people would have been encouraged and would have helped her career, helped her to thrive. But that wasn't the case. But the good thing about it is that even though there are people who don't believe in you or, or have a vision of you that's specific to your talents or abilities, guess what? Your talents and abilities don't go away. It's see, sometimes, and I don't even want to disparage anybody by saying, I'll just, they just don't believe in you. It's an inability to match their vision with your talents. Now, I think as a leadership tip, and I think that's a leadership flaw that I think you need to, you need to work on if that's your leadership style. If you can't see abilities and talents, then you need to work on that. See, sometimes we see identity and sometimes we see skill. And we need to see skill. When all things are equal, if a, if a person is unique and if a person is genuine and if nobody is trying to hurt you or do damage or threaten you, then their personality quirks. You need to look past those and look really at their abilities and their talents. And you need to be able to sculpt your vision around people's talents and abilities. You see, it's about sculpture is taking a lump of clay and molding it into something beautiful. When you look at a lump of clay and you, you see it, it's nothing. But to turn it into a work of art, it takes vision. And that vision begins in the leader's mind. It doesn't begin in the lump of clay. The lump of clay does not create the sculpture. The lump of clay doesn't dictate to the artist how to mold it into a sculpture. It's an important principle to learn as a leader. Call me. Did you ever think about this? When you text somebody, whose voice are you reading it in? You're not reading it in the person who texted you's voice. You're reading it in your own. Think about that for a minute. Your own voice. When we see things in our own voice, in our own perspective, we will make decisions that will benefit us. But take a second to step back. Call me. When you call, what happens? 
Now, I'm not going to say that we should call more and text less. I want to talk about the principle of calling and hearing the voice of another person. And you can apply that to your text messages as well. Let me read you a few of the lyrics. My dearest, my dearest of all, darling, I know, I know, I know we've got to part. Baby, it really doesn't hurt me that bad. Yeah, but you're taking me with you and I'm keeping you right here in my heart. It's all because I love you. I love you. Baby, will you call me the moment you get there? Will you do that? Will you do that for me now? See, the principle of call me is that as a leader, sometimes our decisions will create burdens for other people. Sometimes they're, hopefully, they're not intentional burdens, but in an unintentionally. For instance, if you're in a car accident with somebody, and, and their back is hurt. You didn't intend to hurt their back, but the pain of that back hurting is there. That pain, that person experiences pain. And even though you didn't deliberately do it, that person's pain is still there. Okay? So we've got to think about that as a leader. And when we call a person, we hear another person's voice. And we hear them talking to us. And we listen to them and we see their hopes. We see their needs. We see their vision. And we see them as a person. So when you create a burden for a person, let's just say, for instance, you have to relieve them of their responsibilities. Or you have to sit with somebody who has lost their responsibilities. Carry their burden. Realize they have a burden. Realize they're hurting. Realize they're in pain. Remember, behind the corporate speak, the boilerplates, are people. Now ask yourself this question, and really seriously, as a leader, why do we need corporate language? Why do we need boilerplates? Really specifically, what's the purpose? Let's go deeper. Not just we have to say this in order to protect ourselves from compliance. Stop it! Stop it with that. Go deeper. Have the courage to go deeper. Deeper. Now, when we go deeper, let's always ask ourselves this question. What's the most rational thing to do based upon data? And let that data drive our decision. So, boilerplate language. It protects us from liability. But, is there a scientific study shown that boilerplate agreements increase employee performance and increase morale. Now, if that study exists, then I would like for you to produce it. But I do have scientific studies that show that if you use compassion and you use empathy, that employee engagement will increase. And actually, there are studies that show that gratitude, thankfulness, giving people a vision, collaborating with them will actually increase profits of a company. Where is the study? Again, data-driven, rational decision-making. I need to see the study that shows that boilerplate language, corporate speak, increases employee engagement and increases profits. And if that study exists, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just asking for it to be produced. And then we could talk about it together and we can see if boilerplate language is the most effective data-driven 
way to make your decisions as a leader. Forever Free was one of Edmona Wildfire's most famous sculptures. In that sculpture, it depicts two individuals. It shows two slaves, and it shows their response to their newfound freedom. There's a woman who is looking upward, and she's on her knees in prayer. And by her side is a man who has his hand on her shoulder. And his other arm is raised in the air, and broken chains hang from his wrists. Sometimes things don't work out. And when they don't work out, how do we want people to leave? We want to leave them leaving feeling free. We want them to leave seeing that there is a way forward for them. Not for you, but a way forward for them. Because they have, they're burdened now. They're in pain now. So here are my suggestions. This is what happens with, with corporate speak. With the, with the agreements, the non-disclosure agreements, with the terms of agreements, they don't go deep, and they don't put people first. Mobile blindness by Seth Godin. You don't need a peer-reviewed study to know that when people surf the web on their smartphones, they're not going as deep. We swipe instead of click. We scan instead of read, even our own personal email. We get exposure to far more at the surface, but rarely dig in. As a result, the fine print gets ignored. We go for headlines, not for nuance. It's a deluge of gossip and thin promises, not the relative, more immersive experience of the desktop web. And of course, the web was a surface treatment of a day spent with books and an uninterrupted flow on a single topic. It's not an accident that blog posts and tweets are getting shorter. We rarely stick around for the longer version. Photocaratus, snow blindness, happens when there's too much ultraviolet, when the fuel for our eyes comes in too strong and we can't absorb it all. Something similar is happening to each of us, to our entire culture, as a result of the tsunami of noise vying for our attention. It's possible you can find an edge by going faster and focusing even more on breath at the surface, but it's far more satisfying, highly leveraged to go the other way instead, even if it's just for a few hours each day. If you care about something, consider taking a moment to slow down and understand it. And if you don't care, no need to even bother with the surface. Slow down. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to call people and talk to them face to face. I need you to acknowledge people's talents. I need you to give people a hope and vision for their future, even if that future is not with you. I want you to name their accomplishments and tell them how they benefited you and your organization. I want you to go deeper, not just thank you, not just see you later, we wish you well, call me. Remember, as a leader, you're walking with people. You're walking with them. You're walking with people. You're walking side by side people. And I believe that that's the courageous decision to make the decision that I want to make as a leader. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. Call me.